0: On today's show, the preseason schedule is now here for the Atlanta Hawks. Plus, a new addition to the coaching staff, some mailbag questions, a hypothetical about an expansion draft, and more is on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1536 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Sunday evening into Monday. And today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on right now to get started. Also, at the top of the podcast, I should tell you to make this podcast your first listen here at Locked On Hawks. Please, please, please subscribe and check us out anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple and Spotify, as well as YouTube on the video side. And I should also plug last week's episodes. We had three shows on this feed last week, including two with Brian Schroeder on the 2024 NBA draft, and then a sort of a mailbag-driven show at the end of last week on the latest with Pascal Siakam, Capella, et cetera. Those are definitely still listenable right now, as well as a ton of content over the summer. I know that a lot of podcasts in the NBA space kind of go Relatively dark in the summer, and uh, we do not do that on this podcast. We're not doing quite as many episodes here in the dead period, but generally speaking, three episodes a week at least uh, across the entire summer, which is busy for sure. But we will be here. We also have a player capsule series, still very relevant on the Hawks roster with Glenn Willis from earlier this summer. Um, all kinds of stuff on this podcast feed, Summer League, Draft, etc. And definitely, please, uh, we certainly encourage you to subscribe to this podcast as quickly as humanly possible. On today's show, not a ton going on in Hawksland, but still some news to get to as well. Well, some mailback questions, including uh, stuff on the suspension draft, which has been sort of a popular topic in recent days. But first, the preseason schedule is now out for the Atlanta Hawks as it came out at the end of last week. So backdrop here, October 2nd is the first day the league actually allows players to formally report to training camp. So that's basically when real stuff can happen. You know, a lot of players will be in cities. Well, before that, some guys have been in Atlanta most of the summer, for instance, but that's when the NBA allows teams to actually formally begin their training camp. October 3rd is the the date that camp can actually officially open. So guys can report the day before that, like media days, October 2nd or so. October 3rd is the day that actually stuff can sort of formally happen in training camp. And October 5th is the first day that preseason games can happen. I should say again, can happen across the league. But the Hawks are waiting a little bit longer for theirs and also playing their first three games. In the preseason at home which is interesting in that they don't have to travel for a very long time and as a reminder if you missed it last year of course the hawks went to abu dhabi last year and because of that trip they didn't play a single preseason game in the state of georgia because of that trip they actually did play in birmingham that was the closest to the game that actually went to that one I know a lot of hawks fans did as well but no home games last year in the exhibition slate this year they are uh, correcting that by having three in the city of atlanta The schedule is now as follows. Tuesday, October 10th, is the first time the Hawks will take the floor in a sanctioned NBA game. as against Cleveland, 7.30 p.m. Eastern at State Farm Arena. And then two days later on Thursday, October 12th, against Memphis, same time, 7.30 at State Farm. And then the third and final home game is actually not in State Farm Arena. It's actually at Gateway Center Arena down in College Park where the Skyhawks play. And that is Saturday, October 14th, a 3.30 afternoon matinee slot against the Pelicans. This game is in College Park, pretty, pretty much following a similar model to last year, where the Hawks played the Pelicans in that game in Birmingham because New Orleans G League team is in Birmingham and they're returning the favor and playing in the G League Arena down in College Park this time around. It's a lot smaller venue than the event than the uh, sort of arena stadium slash venue in Birmingham, but it'll be intimate should be a lot of fun, honestly, for an atmosphere game. I would be shocked if it wasn't sold out um, in a hurry. So if you're trying to get tickets to that, I would certainly recommend jumping on that when they are available. But anyway, should be a fun one in the afternoon there. Also, the first three games all at home will be broadcast by Valley Sports Southeast with Bob Rathman, good friend of the podcast, as well as Dominique. And the Hawks Radio Network will have three of the games as well, the first two plus the first road game. So after that first three-game s- schedule happens at home, the Hawks play their final two games on the road in the preseason. Monday, October 16th against Indiana. So basically, the Hawks play their first four games in seven days, which is pretty um, aggressive. Obviously, guys don't play their full workload, so not really a huge concern about workload stuff. Like, you won't see Trey Young playing 35 minutes a game in preseason, but still, that'll be interesting. And then they have three days off before wrapping up the preseason on October 20th in Philadelphia against the Sixers. By the way, that is the final day that the – NBA allows for preseason games. It's October 20th. So the Hawks are going, they're starting later and going all the way to the very, very end of the allowable schedule in the preseason. Also, we'll see about TV stuff for road games. It's always a little bit of late arriving challenges, even for people like people like me to cover the team. Not always the easiest to find feeds of games that are happening that are not broadcast locally, but we'll see on that. And then uh, October 23rd, only two and a half, three days later, the Hawks have to set their roster as the entire de- the entire league does for opening night by October 23rd at 5 p.m. And then things kind of roll along from there. I got a couple questions about this about why the Hawks are playing five games. Last year was more of an outlier that they played fewer games. Um, it's actually funny when I first started covering the team ten plus years ago, they were playing six, seven, eight. Games in the exhibition ex- exhibition schedule, so five is not out of the ordinary at all. It is more than they played last year because they didn't have the huge trip, but uh, no worries there. It's a pretty normal schedule: three at home, two on the road, and then uh, there is the one sort of caveat, and that the Hawks, once they leave town on October fourteenth, they probably won't be back for you know at least ten days because we don't know the schedule at this point, which we, which we'll get into in a second. But uh, they won't be playing at home for you know ten plus days in between preseason games and the actual regular season. So as of Today, as I'm recording this podcast on Sunday evening, August 13th, we still do not know exactly when the full regular season schedule will be coming out uh, across the NBA. I presume it's going to be later this week. That's where all the buzz is at this point in time, and all of the recent trends tell us that. Once the um, schedule starts leaking out in terms of like national TV games and opening night and Christmas, et cetera, usually only a few days after that is the full schedule release. But we do know that Tuesday afternoon, the 15th, is going to be the in-season tournament schedule announcement. So this is a new thing. If you've been under a rock the last couple of months, NBA have this in-season tournament this year. The group stage games are happening in November. And as a reminder, the Hawks are in a group with Philadelphia, Cleveland, Indiana, and Detroit. So we know which teams the Hawks will play, and then they will play two of those games on the road and two at home, but we don't know when or the order, et cetera. Uh, they're going to be taking place every Tuesday and Friday in November, other than Election Day. So we don't know just yet when those are going to be happening, but the Hawks will play the Sixers, Cavs, Pacers, and Pistons in group stage games sometime in November. We also know that the Hawks will not be playing on the first night of the season because that sort of leaked out in the last couple of days. Sham Sharani, I believe, was the first one to report on both Opening night and Christmas. Opening night is going to be Tuesday, the 24th of October. Typical double-header double there. That's national TV and nothing else. It's Lakers, Nuggets, and then Suns, Warriors. We don't know for sure that there's nothing else that night, but usually that's what happens. They have two games on opening night, and that is all. And then typically the majority of the league, not the whole league, but most of the league, will open on that Wednesday after that, which will be the 25th, so we'll see. Uh, no surprise also here that the Hawks will not be playing on Christmas. I know Hawks fans always want to see that. Um, The Hawks are not one of the 10 teams playing their five games. If you remember, the Hawks did have a Christmas game a couple years ago after the Conference Finals run. That's the only time in recent memory that's happened, though. This year's slate is Bucks-Knicks, Sixers-Heat, Celtics-Lakers, Mavs-Suns, and Warriors-Nuggets. A lot of folks immediately in Hawks land were pointing out that the Hawks were better than the Mavs last season. I would agree with that, obviously. Um, But Dallas has, of course, two very famous players in Luka and Kyrie, and that usually is what matters more. The TV draws. Also, nine of the 10 teams this year, uh, sorry, from last year uh, are going to be returning. So only one team is changing, and that's actually Miami replacing Memphis. So they're basically just running it back. And there are three teams, Memphis, Cleveland, and Sacramento. that all won 48 games or more last year and did not get Christmas games. So I don't think the Hawks were going to be next on the list anyway, but there you go on that. And uh, those, those two flagship days will not have any Hawks stuff. So Enjoy Christmas. I know we'll all be watching, including me. But it's probably a little bit easier for those of us covering the team and not have to cover Christmas games, etc. But anyway, we'll have a podcast later on this week if the schedule does come out about what's going on there. We do know again in season tournament stuff on Tuesday afternoon. It's an ESPN release, and we'll see from there. But busy times ahead. Schedule release is a little bit overrated in some respects, but it does it does definitely allow people to make their plans. I know I'll be trying to go to a couple road trips this year, that kind of thing. And we'll all have our pencils out when the schedule is announced later this week, hopefully, if you are a fan of the NBA. Okay, we'll have some more news and some mailbag questions in a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by FanDuel. Football season is about to kick off. Of course, FanDuel is about to give you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on the Super Bowl winner, you get bonus bets every time they win during the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl. You get bonus bets for each and every victory that they have during the course of the year. Then you can use those bonus bets on point spreads and player props and over-unders and more. The FanDuel app is also safe and secure, and they have all kinds of betting angles across the sporting landscape that you might enjoy. They have the whole range of sports at FanDuel. NFL, of course, NBA, of course. College football, MLB, WNBA, college basketball, golf, tennis, soccer, auto racing, and much more. And there's no better no, no place in the entire world to find all the, all the football and basketball action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit fanduel.com slash locked on. That is fanduel.com slash locked on and start earning those bonus bets right now. Yes, right now. That is one more time, fanduel.com slash locked on. Check out Fanduel today. Okay, some more news to hit on here at the top of this uh, mailbag-driven segment, but Ryan Schmidt is a name the, the Hawks fans will want to be familiar with in the coming days. Sportando first reported that Ryan Schmidt will be the new head coach of the College Park Skyhawks. The Hawks have not announced this just yet. Um, some background here, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that the new coach of the British ba- British Basketball League London Lions, while actually noting that Schmidt was leaving that post to join the Hawks organization. He did not say what role, but then I confirmed over the weekend and reported that he is going to be the new head coach of College Park. That'll be announced at some time in the near future. He was only in the British League for one year, but he actually won coach of the year for London at that point in time. Part of the, and Prior to that, I should say, he was with the Raptors organization for four years, so... It is very normal, by the way, that the Hawks would go elsewhere with the G League head coaching job after the head coaching change at the top of the organization with Quinn Snyder. Obviously, nothing that I have to say about all about, you know, negative about Steve Gansey, who was the previous College Park head coach. But Quinn brought in, you know, an entire full slate of assistants on the Atlanta side. So it makes sense that you would have a new College Park head coach. It's kind of an extension. Part of the appeal of having college park down the street is that they can kind of run similar stuff and have similar terminology and have that be kind of an organizational um, you know viewpoint to have from top to bottom and have college park kind of be able to, in the business of developing your players is that's why it's there. so that makes sense what well, the Hawks have not announced that just yet at this point in time but it's going to be happening Ryan Schmidt, new head coach of the college Park Skyhawks. okay a couple of questions here at the end of the podcast into the end a couple of questions to get hit on the rest of the podcast. Um, one comes from Roman who says? I was looking at the odds and I have a question. Why are the Hawks such big favorites to make the playoffs, but the same books have 41.5 wins for the season? I don't quite get it, but I also think we make the playoffs this year. So good question here from Roman. While I know not everyone is into betting, this actually has practical applications as well. So don't just tune out if you're not a huge sports better. I am going to use FanDuel's numbers because FanDuel is again, the official sports partner of on Podcast Network. As I said earlier this month on the show, FanDuel has the Hawks over under for season wins this year at 41 and a half. Basically what that means is you can bet on whether they actually win more than that, which is 42 games or more or less than that, 41 games or less, etc. On that podcast about, again, like two weeks ago, I went through the entire East on that show. As a reminder, though, the Hawks have the seventh highest win total projection in the East It's a key point answering this question so it's kind of a clear top five in the odds of in the odds at this point in time that is boston milwaukee cleveland philadelphia and miami then they have a small tier break down to new york at number six and another small tier break down to atlanta at number seven at 41 and a half wins after that there is a clump of five teams between 36 and a half and 37.5, so between 4 and 5 wins below the Hawks on the pecking order. That is Brooklyn, Indiana, Toronto, Chicago, and Orlando in some order. So with that out of the way, FanDuel has the Hawks right now as minus 210 favorites to make the playoffs and plus 165 or so to miss the playoffs. So to remove the betting context for everybody else, that line implies that the Hawks would have a 67.7% chance to make the playoffs, which, of course, is about Roughly two thirds of the time. Again, 67.7% chance to make the playoffs if you believe those odds are quote unquote true. The question from Roman though makes perfect sense because how would a team make the playoffs two thirds of the time and only have a 41 and a half win projection? It's a pretty logical question. And that's why I picked it. Um, the big thing is there is a real gap in these odds between Atlanta at seven and the five teams below them. Almost to the point where the oddsmakers, again, have the Hawks kind of in their own mini tier at seven. I know that's not really impressive, and Hawks fans are not going to love that placement, and neither do I, honestly, at this point in time. I am currently higher on the Hawks than that than that win total would suggest, and we'll talk about that much more in the next six, seven, eight weeks. But if you just said, okay, assume the Hawks are the seventh best team, which I'm not even saying, but assume that for right now, their chances of making the eight team playoffs in the East, which is what these odds are asking, are pretty solid because the same book FanDuel has five teams below them, at least four games below them in the standings. So, I'm going to actively avoid the super nerdy gambling answer on the fact that these two teams are different. Sort of, uh, sort of, these two bets are different markets: playoffs versus win totals. There is a more gambling-focused answer to this question. But anyway, the simple thing is that the Hawks are seen by these betting lines as pretty solidly better than the teams below them. Again, that's you know, Orlando and Toronto, etc. And this line is for the 18 playoffs. Not the top six, missed the play on sort of missed the play on tournament. So it'd be different if that was the case. Obviously, this is going to change in the near future. I will say this: these kind of betting odds are going to shift along the way. Um, in pre, in previous years, we've seen the Hawks' win of go up and down, up and down. It hasn't moved in the last ten days or so. But let's just say the Hawks make a trade for Siakam, it would go up almost certainly. Let's say the Hawks don't do anything, somebody else makes a trade, it might affect it might affect things. You get an injury in training camp or whatever. It can be moving, it can be fluid. But I said this on the show a couple weeks ago. I'll say it again now. I am going to have the Hawks well over that projection, barring anything different with, with regard to trades or injuries, et cetera. At this current moment with no trades and with reasonable health, I would, I would project the Hawks to be over at 41 and a half win mark. Uh, I, I will hold off on an exact win total until the end of the off, in the off season, but still I'll be over on that. And, as of right now, I would lean toward the Hawks making the playoffs um, at that number or higher because, yes, it's, a, it's not a small number to have a 6% percent chance to win, make the playoffs. But the last two years, the Hawks have been pretty unimpressive. They still made it. And let's just say they're the 7th seed in the play-in tournament. You have to lose twice to get out. It's pretty, uh, pretty favorable to make those 18, 18, 18 playoffs. So nothing is guaranteed by any means. But uh, to answer the question in full, that is the reason why the books have a little bit different um, incentives on that stuff. But um, you can win 42 games. And honestly, if the Hawks were to win 42 games – I would guess that's enough to make the playoffs. I wouldn't project that's the win total, but let's just say they win 41-42 games. That's where they have been the last two years. That's probably enough at this point in the Eastern Conference, which makes it a little bit more in, sort of in, interesting to evaluate these numbers at this point in time. Okay, one more break on today's podcast, and we'll have some expansion draft talk at the end of the podcast. But first, one more break from our sponsors. All right, question from MJ Heights on Twitter. With all the NBA talk of expansion – who are the eight players that the Hawks would protect? So this is interesting because I, I know a couple of podcasts, I know some writing has happened on this front. Part of this is that it's the dead zone of the off season. So this is like a pretty obvious topic, but there's also is to the question from MJ Heights, lots of us in the coming years, nobody knows when, but like, let's just say Vegas and Seattle are the most logical teams to come in. Um, I think expansion is probably going to happen at some point in the next five to 10 years, whatever it's going to be. So, and it's been a while since so the last time there was an expansion draft. So when the Bobcats, who don't even exist anymore in some ways, obviously they're Hornets now, uh, came in the last, that actually happened about 20 years ago. So at that point in time, the rules indicated for the expansion draft, and this is what the question is going off of as well, teams were allowed to keep eight players under protection who were either under contract at the time or they were restricted free agents at the end of the season. So this would happen in the summer no matter what, but – For the sake of the question, I'm going to assume the expansion draft happens at the end of this coming season. So not right now, but a year from now, that would leave still every single relevant Hawks player eligible for the Hawks to keep. The only guys that could not keep would be Wes Matthews and Patty Mills, who they would not keep because they're old, etc. So they're not like useless or anything, but those guys are obviously not going to be part of your top eight to keep any long-term protection of an expansion draft. So I would say there are 11 real candidates for the Hawks to be kept on the current roster. I'll apologize now to the likes of Bruno Fernando, Garrison Matthews, Beat Krejci, and Seth Lundy. Uh, I think you can probably cross those guys off for right now. The 11 guys that I would consider, this is in no order, are Trey Young, of course, DeJounte Murray, DeAndre Hunter, Jalen Johnson, Click Capella, Anika Kongwu, Sadiq Bey, Bogdanovich, AJ Griffin, Kobe Bufkin, and Muhammad Gay. So for me, what you basically be doing, in my mind, is trying to protect the eight guys that have the highest Value or the highest trade value, even in some respects, like the highest overall value, both short term and long term, because you need to you actually need to actually take in age and contract into account because you're protecting these guys from the market and you have to replace them. If they get pulled off your roster. Like for instance. I do like Muhammad Gay quite a bit, but at this moment, I couldn't argue to keep him just because he's a second round pick. I would cross him off. I think there, obviously he has some real upside, but the Hawks have much more proven options for their top eight. So I wouldn't say he has had a chance yet to prove himself at the NBA level, but I would cross Muhammad Gay off as the 11th guy. So that takes you down to 10 guys for eight spots. Uh, There are, I think five or six, there's five locks. I'll say there's five locks, utter locks right now today. Trey, DeJounte, Anya Kikongwu, A.J. Griffin, and Jalen Johnson. Now, Trey N'Ajante are the best players, very obvious. Kongwu would, would be a free agent, but he's restricted. So he's qualifying here, but he's very young. I think he's already been proven to be a very, very good player. Super high-value guy, long-term, versatile, talented, et cetera. Uh, AJ and Jalen are not proven on that level yet by any means, no matter what Hawks fans might be over their skis on. I think that there are some circles where Jalen is really overrated and sometimes AJ is overrated or whatever crossover. But I think the futures are very bright for those guys. I think they're both, you know, importantly, very young and importantly for this, very cheap. So those guys, I think, are five of the eight pretty clearly barring injury or something crazy in the next year. That leaves Hunter, Bay, Capella, Bogdanovich, and Bufkin for three spots. Now, the easy thing to do might be just to leave Bogdanovich and Capella unprotected. They're the oldest guys, although they're not super old. I'm guilty of this too. like They're not actually very old, but they're old for the Hawks. And they're also the only core guys on the team that have probably peaked already and are on the way down. Everybody else on the roster is either in their prime or on the way up. Capella Capella and Bogdanovich, I should say, are probably at least easing their way down from their absolute top form. So, on the other hand, I think that Hunter probably has the worst contract at the moment on the, on the books for the Hawks right now when you compare his proven production at this point. Now, that does not mean it has to stay that way. Hunter is crucially a lot younger than guys like Capella and Bogdanovich. And it's not a crazy contract. I've seen some, you know, I, I get it on Hunter. Uh, he's polarizing because of what I've talked about I, a number of times on this podcast. like He's not proven to be the kind of guy that you extend at the number that they, that they gave him. But he also is a 6'8 forward who can defend and shoot and there's some utility there what he doesn't do is kind of maddening sometimes what he does do is kind of you know intriguing sometimes etc but i'll say it's a shaky contract but not a te- not a terrible one by any means um bogey is older than hunter but is number one a lot more proven to be a high level player than hunter and also making a lot less money over the next few seasons than hunter does and also that deal that is that, that going down whereas hunter's deal is going up in money each and every year um, Capella is obviously just a lot better than Hunter right now. I, I, I understand that maybe some Hawks fans that don't like Capella would argue that. Um, there's an argument there. Capella has been a lot better than DeAndre Hunter to this point in their career. That could change this year. Certainly could change in the next 12 months. That would not surprise me. But right now, today, Capella is a lot better than Hunter, and they're making the same money. So I would probably always keep that in mind on this, although Capella is older, of course. And then you have Buffkin and Bay, who are very interesting cases. Bay is going to be a free agent like a Congo is, but again, restricted. But he isn't the same level of like future asset that a is from the same draft class. Like he is, though, a proven rotation guy who really helped the offense this year when he arrived. The shooting is really valuable on a six and four, sorry, six seven four with some bulk. Like it would be very helpful to know what his next contract's going to look like to make this choice, but we don't know that right now. Uh, there's a chance that he gets overpaid. That might happen. That would hurt in terms of the uh, value proposition, but we probably won't know that between now and then. Uh, then there's Buffkin, who they just drafted, who I think was a good draft pick. I like that pick a lot, but he is—he's a lot less proven than even AJ or Jalen is because AJ and Jalen have played at the NBA level and impressed at times at the, at the NBA level. What's Bubkin right now on August thirteenth has not done that, so you're taking a leap to keep him. I, I'm not saying you don't, but because because he is cheap and he is under control and he's—I like that—I like that pick a lot, but there's some uncertainty there that you can't really match with anybody else in that top ten. So, ultimately, I think I would just keep. Buffkin and Bay, because, you know, contract wise and age wise and all that stuff, value wise. And then I think you're picking one of Bogey, Hunter, or Capella to protect. And by the way, there's no guarantee that they get picked off in this expansion draft. But I think that, um, you know, in a vacuum a year from now, that's what I would do right now. It's still close. As much as it pains me, I don't think you can keep Capella because you have the Kongwu. And because at that point, a year from now, crucially, Capella will only have one year left in his deal. That's important to keep in mind because again, this is future value. This is con- this is contracts matter. This is age matters. And Capella will be a year older and one only one more year left on his contract. Plus, again, you have you have a con So I think you probably have to cut Capella, or at least not not protect Capella in this instance. Then we're choosing either Bogey or Hunter, and honestly, this is really really challenging. Again, Bogey is the better player right now, by a pretty huge margin on offense. Obviously, better uh, Hunter's better defensively. And I think Bogey's better overall and he's cheaper and it's cheaper, but Hunter is much younger and plays a position that every team in the league, every team in the league wants a 6-8 forward who can defend that does matter. So I think this is kind of a cop out. I think it would depend on how this season went. If Hunter was the same guy or worse or got banged up, I think that you probably keep bogey. Uh, and especially bogey is able to stay healthy and productive. If bogey gets banged up or the knee is an issue again, or Hunter makes a leap, which might happen. Then you keep hunter so i think it's a pretty fascinating discussion that's kind of all my thoughts right now it's this is a year in advance nothing is very clear i do believe though that there is a pretty clear top 10 for eight spots and that means you can only uh, protect eight of those 10 guys and you're cutting some combination of veterans or maybe buffkin if you want to go that direction a year from now i think it might be easier It might also be harder. We'll see. Uh, But uh, as of right now, that's what I would do. It's fascinating. And look, this might happen. It it probably won't happen a year from now, but I think that expansion is going to be interesting. And I think when it does happen, I will probably cover that at a very, very high level because this is a decision the Hawks are going to have to make. And they'll have more draft picks in the pipeline by then. They might make more trades by then. And uh, we'll see. But anyway, a good question and a nice August hypothetical to end today's podcast. Okay. Again, I'll have more coming later this week. I won't give anything else away. I have some guests lined up hopefully in the next couple of weeks as well. But um, some scheduled stuff for sure. Whenever that happens to come out in season on Tuesday. And then hopefully regular season like Wednesday, Thursday-ish. But we'll see when it actually comes out. Please subscribe to this podcast anywhere you get your podcast, Places like Apple and Spotify and YouTube on the video side. If you are a fan of the show... It helps us to subscribe multiple times across platforms, even auto-download the show on Apple and Spotify or Odyssey or wherever. Also, likes and views and all that stuff on YouTube as well. If you want to send in a question for the mailbag, there are three ways to do that. You can leave a five-star feedback slash review on Apple Podcasts and leave a question there. You can also send questions to lockedonhawks at gmail.com or you can send them to me on Twitter slash X, which is at BT Roland for my personal account and at LockdownHawks for my Uh, show account. Also, I read about the Hawks sometimes at patreon.com slash btroll. So lots of plugs in the the podcast. But if you are a sicko diehard listening to the podcast in August, I shout you out. I very much appreciate your support. And uh, with all that said, we'll see you all later this week.